Welcome to South London Hardcore. I'm Jack McEnroe, joined by Steve Walsh. Hello. And we're taking a walking trip around Rotherive. Joining us on our excursion around the peninsula is uh, Owen Pomery. Hello. If you go to southlandhardcore.com, you can follow our journey uh, with a Southland Hardcore map. Our walk is mostly around the western part of Rotherive. We covered Surrey Dogs in episode 11. So go back and listen to that. It's on iTunes. It's on uh, southlandhardcore.com. So we'll, we might touch on some of the same stuff. Right, so our tour will start at King's Stairs Gardens, which we've not been to yet. Sounds like something from Game of Thrones, doesn't it? <laughs> but at the moment we're at the Angel Pub on the river, Bermondsey Wall East. Just had what I thought was quite a disappointing burger. Quite a, like cheap, quite a cheap burger I've been sold at premium burger prices. Instant coffee. But the pub is significant. We did a walking tour this morning that we thought was like firmly in conjunction with the Brunel Museum. But I don't think it was really, was it? It sort of ends up there. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's, a, it's endorsed. Right. Them, but it's yeah, run yeah. by a separate tour company. Who I, don't feel, I don't feel any need to promote. Yeah, it was nine quid a head. Uh, the guy started off doing very general London history. Well, started off doing very general personal history, uh, telling us that he's uh, the co-writer of the Rainbow theme tune. And did he claim that he killed Simon Callow in Four Weddings and a Funeral? I, I missed that bit. I think about well. it was some, in some role within it. <laughs> it had to do was. with him and Simon Callow in Four Weddings and a Funeral. But then, yeah, when the tour starts, he's talking about London. Um, so I'm telling you about Roman invasions and the plague and stuff, and you're like, this isn't relevant to what we're here for. No, it did go on a bit. We, we ended up at the Brunel, Brunel Museum, which we will talk about shortly. The Angel Pump, did he say it was significant, Steve? Yeah. And what, for what reason? It had been bombed in the Blitz, and it was sort of rebuilt. Um, as much as the area hadn't been, so now it stands alone, where it was part of like a larger terrace of warehouses and such. Right. And the Weatherboard Gallery, which is below us as we sit, is quite significant as well. Um, opposite, on the other side of the river, you had a spot called Execution Dock, which is where a lot of uh, river pirates and ne'er-do-wells were killed. And apparently the gallery at the Angel was a, a good vantage point if you were to watch a, a murder endorsed by the state. Well, you're looking out the window now, Steve, what do you reckon? Well, you can still see that the feds keep their boats moored on the other side, so it's sort of similar. Oh, yeah, probably the same setup. ground, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. More excitingly, Alfred Hitchcock's first film was filmed at his pub. Oh, right. right. In 1922, he made a film called Mrs. Peabody, also known as Number 13, that was never completed for budgetary reasons. And the only still that exists is Alfred Hitchcock directing the film outside the pub, and it looks exactly the same. Uh, film about George Foster Peabody, Steve, who created the Peabody Trust. Oh, all those plants, yeah. There's also loads of birds outside at the moment as well. <laughs> I'm just going to show you a still, uh, which you can see on our website, southlandhardcore.com. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow, right, it's yeah. not changed, is it? I was oh. looking on Google Maps to see. It's in colour now. But that's literally the only still that exists from Hitchcock's first ever film, and it's this pub here we're in. So we're up. On a mound at Kingstairs Gardens. Not as impressive as the name suggests, is it? What, the mound or the park? You're assuming some sort of regal staircase to guide you in? Yeah. Yeah, originally Kingstairs Gardens proposed in 1947 as a way to connect Southwark Park to the river. Uh, so they could extend the green space all the way up to the very edge of the river. It's proposed in 1947, various methods of approval and funding were pursued and eventually it opened in 1982 it's not bad is it no but it suggests a sort of historical uh, the name yeah at the very least I would have liked to have seen some stairs well there's a manor house just over there yeah isn't you can see some ruins just across the way by the pub got to be related to that perhaps so it opens in 1982 not really more than 20 years is open before it's put under threat of a super sewer being opened at this very point. The local people aren't too pleased at the prospect of, you know, any sort of sewer. Bit of nimbyism. Yeah. yeah. Um, and set up a protest campaign and eventually get this area declared as a village green, which means it has important social and uh, community use. 
and can't be turned into a sewer. Seems reasonable. The hum of traffic entering the Rovra Tunnel, Steve. It's a beautiful sound. I don't know how official this designation is, but I think of the dividing line between Bermondsey and Rotherhive of be as being Southwark Park and Kingstairs Gardens. Like once you go over to that side of it, you're in Bermondsey, and now over here, once you go across into across this roundabout into Rotherhive, almost as if to make that official, you've got this wonderful archway that they've crafted out of the shield of the machine that cut the Rotherhive Tunnel. We can walk through and cross this invisible line into Rotherhive. Have you ever driven a car through the Rotherhive Tunnel? Or... I've not, no. I've not driven a car in London, to be honest. Me neither. No, not by most three of us. <laughs> I wouldn't know what that experience would be like passing under the arch. Can you walk under? I mean, you're not allowed to, but say you get break down, I suppose you can, aren't you? No, I think even then, don't Is there like a point of no return? If I get halfway down, they're like, go on then. <laughs> <laughs> Much more crown on the other side now. Yeah, you're far cool. You've committed. I don't think you can walk through it, no. Right, well, we won't try that then. Because <laughs> we'll only end up on the wrong side of the river. The roundabout itself is quite significant as well. Uh, when it was built, they demolished a school and a nunnery. One of which is quite uninteresting. One of which is quite odd. But also a pub called the Europa, which is probably best remembered now as a place where a young Max Bygraves would play the piano and entertain locals before going on to one of the nation's favourite entertainers. Died recently, yeah? Yeah, last couple of years. In Australia, I think it was. Tell us about Max Bygraves, Steve, because you're probably a huge fan, I imagine. He's one of those guys where, when I was a kid, you'd sort of see him on TV and you'd go, oh, he's corny that guy who does like the weird transatlantic voice and like sings the songs that I don't really get and then now I'm an adult I'm sort of like oh wasn't he brilliant he was really good a bit like uh, Des O'Connor not Des O'Connor what <laughs> 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 I'm thinking of Bob Monkhouse Bob Monkhouse is who I'm thinking of and like the two Ronnies and Morgan Wise where when you're a kid you're like it's these old guys and they're just sort of like trampling around and you, they're not really what you're about because you want Transformers but then as an adult, you go, oh no, they were brilliant. They were really good at what they do. You're going to put some Max Biogrove clips on the website, yeah, southlondonhardcore.com. He's been up there for about there again. We're now uh, on the steps of the St Mary's Church, where home to a 250-year-old organ. Yeah, this church would have been the heart of Rotherhive Village, historically. So we're at the, the very centre of old Rotherhive. But obviously, as history has taken place, the church has felt the impact of that. On the tour earlier, the guy was talking about the fight in Temeraire, which was built locally and... Built like it's French. Was uh, <laughs> refitted locally after being captured from the French and also uh, put out to pasture. It's a completely wrong reference because uh, you don't put... Uh, the ship in the fields. but yeah, it was uh, it was it was uh, taken apart here, and some of the timber from that ship was used to make uh, altars and pews in the church, and also the roof structure. Yeah, yeah. Well. Similarly, with the area's connection to the Pilgrim Fathers and the Mayflower, the captain of the Mayflower is also buried and unmarked in the churchyard here. Yeah, three out of the four owners are, aren't they? The sailing of the Mayflower in 1620 to America, Plymouth, well, from Plymouth to Plymouth in a way. In a one, way. One of the most significant moments in the history of the world, Steve. <laughs> no? Yeah, I guess. Well, it's up there. In the history of the Western world, I suppose, yeah. Also in the history of half of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the Mayflower as a ship docked locally in Rotherhive. It was built here, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. It was anchored there, wasn't it? I yeah. That's where its sort of base of operations were. And there was a pub close by to where it docked called the ship, which has now been renamed as the Mayflower. Nice bit of market in there, isn't it? Yeah. If you want a uh, pub called the ship, there's also one called the ship <laughs> just around the corner. So. And a bit further up is the ship and the whale. 
which we went to on uh, the sorry aforementioned Sorry Docks episode. The Pilgrims, yeah, Pilgrim, went Pilgrim Fathers yeah. sailed over from Holland, met the Mayflower in Southampton, and from there made the trip across the Atlantic to, well, f- to, to go forward to. They went to Plymouth first. Well, you have the, the Mayflower Steps in Plymouth, and where it actually that's where it last touched British soil before it left. Where Owen Pomeroy spent many an evening. I did. Just sat in quiet contemplation. Um, yeah, there's a small. <laughs> I didn't. There's a small. Uh, <laughs> there's a small sort of memorial uh, balcony they put up over the steps. To um, you? No, to. How many evenings do you spend there? How did they get American accents? You would draw an honest answer. Yeah. You mix German, Dutch, English, French. You mix the world's languages. And it comes you? out American. Yeah. Right, it's like with paint and brown, isn't it? If you want to make brown, just put all the colours in, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah. Colour X. Not quite sure if I want You guys are not <laughs> helping me out. If, if, if you want brown, you put all the colours That's in. That's what the art teacher taught us. <laughs> <laughs> well, to make a mess. How do you make brown, Owen, when you're painting? Black and red, I've Germany, black and red shortcut or brown as well. brown paint is available if you want to see uh, more of Owen's work <laughs> none of which is brown <laughs> or painted <laughs> <laughs> yeah owenpomery.com and there's a link to a shop they've just finished billboards Owen excitingly part that's 6 that's correct yeah the 6th and final part has been complete between the billboards and what's it called what's the subtitle of part 6 at the rise available at gosh I imagine oh, on yeah. Berwick Street other outlets O.D. Pomery on Twitter. Right, also buried at this church, Steve, uh, as the tour guide touched on, but, you know, I'll put it in a more uh, exciting way, in, uh, is Prince Lee Boo. Were you aware of him before? No, I'd never tour? heard of him, yeah. So, in uh, September 82, East India Company, who apparently built Rothrive, which will you come to that? Uh, I don't really touch on that. No, you're quite anti-East India Company, aren't you, Steve? Just Empire. In but apparently it was, they did a secret voyage and this Captain Wilson uh, nine month trip to the Philippines shipwrecked on the then unnamed Palau Islands and uh, they took refuge on uh, Yulong. Is it Along? I'm not going to correct you on uh, a word I've only seen five seconds ago. How does it spell? U-L-O-N-G Oolong So Right, so to get in with the uh, the chief, Abatul, right, they're using their guns and stuff to shoot the neighbouring islanders, so he's, you know, well pleased when they don't cook them alive or anything. So they build him a new boat from local trees. He can't, but he's an expert woodcarver, the chief. Can't believe it, you know, what they're doing with wood. So he sends his son home with him, uh, Prince Lee To learn wood. Exactly. Uh, so he can't believe They show him a mirror. He can't get over it. Cows... He's like, what is this? <laughs> but in turn, when they, when they see him throw a spear, right, people say, this is a special guy. Anyway, gets back to England, 1784, lives in Rotherive. Obviously, like, can't imagine there were many Filipinos in England before him. Certainly not Palau Islanders. And uh, dies of smallpox five months later. How long? Five months. Five yeah, months quite sad, really, teenager. You can see a big bit of the UK in five months, though, can't you? Yeah, he was all over the place, up and down, learning the language. And also, Steve here, is buried in this church, is the last case of the Great Plague, 1679. Right. Was it rather... The last ever one? Yeah. Was that Lee Bone? No, a different guy, <laughs> sort of 100 years before. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> one of Robert Hive's hidden gems is the Sands Film Studios, which I'd never heard about until we started doing research for the show. And then when I did start reading about it, I was like, oh, it's quite interesting. There's this little film production place. They've got a picture research library attached. This sounds like it'd be quite quaint, quite to be. So I came along on Thursday, because it's not open on weekends, so we can't get in today, to visit and have a look round. And immediately realise it's on a scale I didn't imagine. I mean, it's not huge. It's not like a, an aircraft hangar. It's not like the XL centre. It's still it's not a granary building. But the way they use the space inside is remarkable. They've got workshops, a cinema, cutting room. How big's the cinema? It's not. It's not huge, but um, it's all sofas. So it looks uh, really sort of. How many plush seats? Um, sort of thirty. 
but you know, decent. And yeah. it's a very nice room. The room itself was a workshop, then a storeroom, but they've just decked it out, so it looks uh, fantastic. So I popped along on Thursday, just on the off chance, to see if I could have a look round. And you can go into the Picture Research Library whenever you want. Well worth a visit. Everything's in folders. There's no computers. There's like? nothing digitised. They've got three massive folders at the start, which is an index for the whole thing. And then everything else is in little folders, in pigeonholes, all around the place. So I was just having a look around generally, and just picking up random folders. So I'm in the trades and occupation section, and there's a folder marked Anarchists and Revolutionaries. Just open it up. It's a folder with pictures clipped out of Trotsky, Pancho Villa, Fidel Castro, just taken from magazines and newspapers with a little uh, explanation on the card next to them. Go to the vehicle section, vehicles, brackets, fantasy. Just like fairy carriages from old wood cuts and, you know, impossible dirigibles that could never actually fly. Brilliant. And the idea is that people can use this to commission costumes from sands to commission props and sets from sands uh, and they build it all in-house the the equipment and space they've got is remarkable they've got like a printing press dyeing station storage as well for like just rack after rack of victorian style underwear just as far as the eye can see so i was shown around by this guy and he's sort of telling me about the history of the place and again I hadn't realised just how involved they were and what they were involved in they did a production themselves in 1988 of Little Dorrit the Dickens novel starring Alec Guinness Derek Jacobi Joan Greenwood Max Wall Miriam Margulies among you know dozens of other people it's written or the script's adapted by Christine Edzard who set up Sands Film Studios she got an Oscar nomination for best adopted uh, screenplay that year Alec Guinness also got an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor for the film. So this little studio in Rothhive that made this film by themselves managed to get two Oscar nods, which isn't bad. They've also done work on productions like Gormenghast, the Harry Potter films, Gangs of New York, Les Mis, Lincoln. As I went in on Thursday, there was a group of women working in the library, and the guy that was showing around was like, yeah, they're doing uh, Wolf Hall. Have you heard of that? I was like, yeah, it's quite famous. So they're working on that here right now. It, they've been involved in two films, uh, Topsy Turvy. Yeah, Mike Lee. Yep. And Marie Antoinette. Uh, a film oh, that right. I, I'm not familiar with, but... Yeah, I've seen it. Good costumes? Yeah, but notably, uh, it's uh, Sofia Coppola's film. That's right, yeah, yeah. Lost in Translation. And it's um, Kirsten Dunst plays Marie Antoinette. It's quite modern, you know, despite the fact that all the period costumes look pretty perfect, yeah. you know, to my untrained eye. But notably, there's, uh, there's a bit where the camera pans along all her shoes, and she's got loads of shoes right. on it, and it pans past a pair of Converse, <laughs> which is, I thought at the time was pretty lame. Yeah, yeah. And I like Sofia Coppola, but, and the film's alright. They wouldn't have made the Converse here, I don't think. You just get those from uh, shop on it, it's fine. But yeah, the, all the jewellery and whatnot that you see in those films would have been made here. It's, yeah, remarkable set how they got. They also run a cinema club, uh, Thursday evenings, sorry, Thursday mornings for kids and Tuesday evenings for adults, which I'd imagine is well worth a visit. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting there at some point. The picture research library no use to you, Owen? Um, we've got the internet now. Um, <laughs> I would imagine it is a wealth yeah, of interesting stuff. Exciting new project, Owen. British Ice. Exclusive announcement, yeah. <laughs> I'll have a flick through. See I think it'd be worthwhile, yeah. man. Yeah. You might come across some uh, snowsuits that are quite useful. Snowsuits? Yeah, they might be wear snowsuits in the Arctic. Is that a thing? A snowsuit? It's not a suit made of snow. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you don't know means you probably do. I need, to, I need to get down, down the. Uh, <laughs> get down there. But yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I wouldn't. I, I wasn't in here looking for a particular project. I was just sort of like, what looks odd? And there's so, just so much stuff. It's great. And it's just all available and open to look at. They've also, in the library, got dotted around little display uh, cases with like waistcoats from Little Dorrit as worn by Ali Guinness. Right, we're back outside the Brunel Museum. We've already been in and out. And up and down as well. Yeah, where did we start with the Brunel Museum, Steve? The walk we took this morning ended up at the Brunel Museum, including the price of the walk was access to the Grand Entrance Tunnel, which we 
clambered into. Yeah, you have to duck to go under. You have to climb a wall. What is it three and a half foot high? About that, yeah. I certainly had to half my size to get through it, I think. Yeah, and you are seven foot, so. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not over there, is it? Because then you have to go, you have to mind your head and then walk down scaffolding, essentially. Yeah. Until you're into this kind of quite dank. With some quite exposed sort of bolts and whatnot that mm. you can quite easily do yourself an injury. It's all moving. It's as a well. terrible setup. I don't know if it's great. They need to put a door in there and some proper stairs. For me, there was no reason why that couldn't have been in place. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It yeah, was, there uh, should it, be it a door. I don't. There's no reason why it should be a hobbit. Tunnel. At the end, the guide said, is there any questions? And the kid said, why is the door so small? That was the only question he had about <laughs> the history of Rotherhive. I don't know whether that's it was, uh, it was, how uh, comprehensive the talk was. No, or just how obvious, was with the, uh, how obvious it is to put a full-size door in, isn't it? It wasn't really in the mouths of children. It wasn't really the experience I was hoping for going down into the. Uh, what would you call it? Even the atrium, I would say. Of the, I mean, you saw the, there's like an image on the wall of how it was. And it was quite grand, it, like with a sort, of, and you could see where the stairs had descended. It was like the markings on the wall, and it, it sort of spiralled down to the bottom. I do like the idea of them demolishing a perfectly good staircase and putting up some scaffolding <laughs> for their visitors. I think the drawings away. that we saw of it may have idealised just how uh, perfect the staircase was. <laughs> Perhaps. But it was, the, it was the shaft, wasn't it, essentially, that led into the tunnel. The, the tour guide gave us a very sort of detailed description of how they created this giant... I want to say ring piece. I don't want to say ring piece. (laughs) (laughs) That's the dilemma I have. What do you call it? A copper ring. The Kesson. Was it Kesson? A Kesson shaft, is that it? Yeah. Yeah. Where basically you just create this this ring of metal that's so big and heavy that it sinks into the ground. And Mm. as it sinks, you build, you you know, dig out the what what it leaves behind and uh, wall it off. We should probably establish what the actual project was we're talking about. Yeah, it was to build. A tunnel under the River Thames, which was to be the first tunnel ever dug under a river in the world. Yeah, by Mark uh, Brunel. Although, I did read that the Babylonians in uh, 2180 built a tunnel underneath the Euphrates to go from uh, the Palace of Babylon to the Temple of... Why well, was the first tunnel dug underneath a navigable river? So I don't know what that bit of the Euphrates was like, but maybe you couldn't get a boat over it. Right, like a stream. Yeah, basically. That's right. That's what I'm saying. But no, incredible work of engineering. So yeah, I mean, yeah. One of those sort of things that at the time you wouldn't have been, you wouldn't have believed it was even possible, would you? And similar to what we were talking about in the railways episode previously, it's not just a case of what you're trying to do it's what you have to do to get to the point of what you're trying to do you have to create and innovate whole new industrial methods and the fact that the principle of those methods are still being used today is quite incredible I think Ian Peter Ackroyd (laughs) (laughs) Peter Ackroyd's book London Under is really good Uh, I've just finished it recently and uh, he talks it's about the history of sort of London underground and he talks about the building of the tunnel how people were just in fear of their life throughout building it like 11 people died over the course of uh, the, the how many years was it? 18 years yeah 18 they years planned for three it, right? yeah. and it went for 18 but people died of like you know people went blind people drowned you know someone fell in like diet, people died of like diarrhoea someone went mad at least one person went mad. You never know with uh, Peter Rankwood. Is it Peter Rankwood who makes stuff up, or is that Ian Sinclair? <laughs> but it's also, you, you, you can't really trust medical records at the time, can you? No. Like, where, the, where they'll just put madness as a cause yeah. of death, and that's not really a cause Although of death. Although Mark Brunel it? did put in this, um, in this letter to his friend the evil is increasing. Like he thought it was quite a kind of sinister project. Well, you're digging into the earth yeah. in a way that no one's ever done before and just put imperiling people constantly. So it would be... It's not going to be fun, is it, at all? The Hades Hotel, it was nicknamed, apparently. But again, these nicknames, you never know how common they were. Yeah, not just one bloke who said it. Spent a night down the Hades Hotel. Yeah. Now, of course, it's the uh, tunnel on the uh, Orange Line, London Overground, from um, Rotherhive Station, obviously, to Wapping. So it's disappointing that you can't really go through it, but... 
I've got it on good authority that towards the end of the month the overgrounds will be closed for four days for engineering work and the tunnel will be navigable for those yeah, few days. Yeah, that'd be exciting. Maybe get involved in that, Steve. Yeah. Mm. So we went upstairs to the Brunel Museum. It should be called the Brunel's Museum, really, shouldn't it? It should be called the Brunel Room because That's it's not it is. huge, is it? No. No, it's... Uh, very disappointing overall, I'd say. Really nice typography and layout on all the information cards. Yeah, a few nice models, some pictures and stuff. But I don't think it was even worth £3. And certainly the whole lot was not worth £9 with the tour. I, don't think, I think that's fine to say, Steve. Yeah, I think so. I'm yeah, just trying to think if I disagree, off. but I think, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Mm, all right. But, you know, if... For us to go on these trips, we do really need uh, people to keep buying T-shirts and keep using the Amazon link uh, to pay for our way into these places. Otherwise, we just have to record in the basement of a comic shop and read Wikipedia articles out. <laughs> so just keep using the Amazon link. Tell your friends to use it too would be useful. Leave us an iTunes comment, you know, while you're Also, we're saving you money by going down and telling you that it's not worth the money. So you don't have to waste your own finding yeah. that out. Saved you seven fifty on a burger, didn't I? A minute ago. <laughs> <laughs> Let's call it twenty. You know, <laughs> just been twenty quid now, isn't it? What I found <laughs> quite interesting was that I, I wasn't aware that he was involved in the Hungerford Suspension Bridge. Which one are we talking about, Mark Isambard or Isambard Kingdom? This was Isambard Kingdom, I think. Um, he, yeah, it was it was, and. Um, uh, originally, Hungerford Bridge, the railway bridge that goes over by Waterloo, yeah, yeah. Um, that used to be a suspension bridge. Um, brick piers are still the same, so those brick, brick, and it was um, in use as a suspension bridge for about about fifteen years, I think. And then it took off the suspension element, and then it's just a standard bridge that you see today. Did they but, say "tada" when they took it off? <laughs> <laughs> but what happened to those cables? They're now in the Clifton Suspension Bridge in Bristol. Oh, right. Yeah, same cables. Wow, they realise you could reuse yeah. cables. Like yeah, that. apparently so. Is Bristol worth a visit? Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. Oh, you go there for comic reasons, don't you? You ever been, Steve? No, no. I go there for many reasons. <laughs> um, Analogvision.com, is that your uh, website oh, for your architectural drawing? It is. While yeah. we've got engineering listeners... <laughs> <laughs> while their ears have pricked up they can uh, yeah, find out more about them so we're at the watchtower um, which is um, it was an old school yeah no the school was next door yeah this yeah, was all part of the same building isn't it? this, this was, was where the watch house yeah. watch house does say watch tower yeah, yeah. all the watch house story right and we're having quite a nice coffee aren't we yeah. quite a cramped little uh, cafe yeah this is where the river watch were based so they'd keep an eye out for piracy and dredge up bodies and whatnot. it's quite um, it turns up on those like rather I've walk maps it's quite nice isn't it? I mean you're at the church you can see it from the church steps across the road at the Mayflower pub which we did mention that's also got its place in uh, television history Steve the first and last episodes of Dempsey and Makepeace were filmed there. Now, Owen Pomery and I were uh, born the year before it premiered. You were uh, a little older, Steve. Did you watch it? Yeah, did. They filmed across the road from the estate I grew up on. Uh, I grew up on St Giles Road, Barnwell House, and there was an old hospital across the road. Flat, of course it is. The 80s. Thatcher and it. Um, but yeah, they came to film over there, and we were really excited because we were all like nine years old, and Dempsey and Mayfield were across the road. So me and like every kid from every estate around Campbell just descended on this place. And I forget the guy's name, the American guy who's in it. Is it Michael Brandon? That's Somewhere. it, Michael Brandon. was lovely, really nice, and he was like mm-hmm. just smiling. And Glynis. Yeah, Glynis something. Is it Powell? Glynis something. Yeah, the, uh, the actress in it wasn't very nice. So uh, she was like, just refused to talk to him. And like, oh, once she finished, she like, got in her car, and loads of kids just like jumping up and down in their car. <laughs> you, just including you? Inclu- not including me. No. Were you just watching? I was just watching, going, how does this help us? She's not going to be more friendly now, is she? Surely Dempsey and Mapis will just never come back. And they never came back. Probably due to shooting schedules rather than uh, that incident. They had three seasons, 84 to 86. I've never, never seen it. I watched like 45 minutes of the opening episode. <laughs> When I was a kid, I thought it was brilliant, but I wouldn't watch it now. It's, did they uh, construct the storyline so that the opening and closing episode were in the outside the same part? Or was that sort of I think maybe it's a bit of circularity. I've not seen it, but uh, do you know the premise, Owen? 
Not massively, no. It's uh, an elegant British noblewoman, Sergeant Harriet Makepeace, and a streetwise New Yorker, Lieutenant James Dempsey, work for an elite armed unit of the Metropolitan Police. <laughs> Sounds great, that The name's perfect, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Like, the friend, name sounds like Hank Abbs and the Simpsons, isn't it? Yeah, our friend uh, Tom Evans used to talk about a crime drama uh, called Crayfish and Rocket. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much in that vein, isn't it? But, like, yeah, it starts off with, like, this drug deal going wrong in America, you know, and he gets sent to uh, London. Oh this London, is it like L.A.? Do you need a car to get everywhere? That kind of business. Robert Hive's most famous resident, son, even, is Michael Caine. One of the top ten most famous South Londoners, I'd say, as well. Yeah, definitely. Born at uh, St. Olive's Hospital. Olav's? Olav's, Olav's yeah, yeah. Went to school with a boy called Olav. Olav Udifor. What was his surname? Udifor. He was uh, Nigerian. Medifor? <laughs> yeah, 1933. There's a blue plaque up. I imagine on the side of a block of flats, because the hospital was long gone. But we won't have time to uh, swing by it, but... We could just lie I mean, and say can't... we're there now. I mean, I'm looking at this blue plaque and it's beautiful. If you Literally, Google Michael somewhere. Michael Caine, Rothfire blue plaque, right, and click Google, Google Images, you'll see a badly, I say Photoshop, they definitely use paint. And it says Michael Caine was born here. Not a lot of people know that. It's done really badly, worse than the joke. I thought you were going to say, if you Google Michael Caine, you can find out more information on this famous actor. But <laughs> hopefully you did a little more to it. One place we won't manage to get to is the Pump House Museum, uh, which is a museum dedicated to the regulation of water around docks, which is ironically quite dry. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you were desperate to mention it. But no, it's got other stuff in there as well. It's like the Rotherhive Heritage Museum as well. And it also houses the Young Archaeologist Club. You know, you get four free magazines, Stephen, a certificate and a badge. But it also has like local artifacts, yeah, including like a range of telephones through time. There's like a <laughs> telephone that your nan had, like with a ring on it, you know, uh, the Where were they? dial. Yeah. Then then it goes like yeah. flip Nokia, yeah. regular. No, but it has, it goes, and their website says it includes early mobile phones. So if you want to see some, uh, yeah, some huge bricks, get over there. They've also got a replica of uh, Queen Elizabeth's wedding cake, and there's a big peak friends bit. So if you're oh, insisting right. on doing this bacon episode, Steve, we'll probably get down the Pump House Museum at some point. There you go. One of the legacies of the docks on the Rotherhive Peninsula was a great deal of trade with Scandinavian countries. And as part of that, you're getting huge numbers of Scandinavian sailors coming over, bringing stuff over and working on the docks in Rotherhive. As a consequence of that, you've got a Swedish church, a Finnish church, and a Norwegian church, as well as loads of other indicators of the huge Scandinavian presence in the area. Right outside St. Olaf's church, which was... I don't think that plaque is from the time. No, yeah. 25th of November 1990. Yeah, that, that recognises a visit from King Harold... No, not even the king. Crown Prince Harold of Norway. Not even send the king over. There's a plaque over there on the wall of uh, Olaf himself. Yeah, it's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, it's nice. Strong profile. So King uh, Harkon VII made many of his famous radio broadcasts to occupy Norway from here, yeah? You read no Wikipedia? Where the uh, Norwegian royal family were regularly working with were regular worshippers during their exile in London. Can you tell us any more about that, then, probably? <laughs> My knowledge of the uh, Norwegian royal family is not, not what it was. It's not what it was. <laughs> not what it was. Um, but uh, that sounds about right. <laughs> There's a possibility we just witnessed Norwegians go in as well. Yes, yeah, so we don't know they were Norwegian. Did no, they? they went in. Well, they were definitely white though. So Caucasians, yeah. Viking look to a minute. It's a nice building. It is. Yeah, I thought nice uh, little Norsk Kirka detail on the front. I always thought that this was like part of the entrance to the Rotherhive Tunnel right you know what I mean like, yeah, where it's like right next to the entrance to the Rotherhive Tunnel in your defence the Norwegian flag is well tangled up there isn't it could be anything weather vanes that's another uh, folder in the Rotherhive picture research library saw really? the folder I was like seriously and it's just picture after picture of weather vanes it's great this one's quite a good one it's a sort of Viking ship or something yeah, yeah. don't know if it's in there get a photo and we can send it over Destroy it quickly, Owen. Have you Just knock it out. <laughs> so, I mean, I wonder if there's any link here to uh, Mere Wall, just up the road in um, Bermondsey. 
they used to be sponsored by Live TV, the weather in Norwegian, Steve, do you remember? Possibly. I think you're giving... It's definitely no I think link. you're giving Kelvin McKenzie far too much credit <laughs> there. Topless news. Because of Scandinavia, isn't it? Can't get their clothes on, despite the cold. <laughs> <laughs> Just missed the sound of some teenagers doing wheelies on scramblers. Oh, no, they're coming back, they're coming back. <laughs> See, that's what I like to think of. Uh, I say Rob Rive, I'm thinking more Bermondsey. That's what it's all about, Steve, isn't it? Teenagers on scramblers. It is in a way, yeah. Did you have a, a motorcycle on Pomeroy? No, I always wanted a scooter as a kid. I lived out in the countryside and I saw it as a valuable means of transport to get into the local town. But I uh, couldn't afford one. Right, another Scandinavian church, Steve. Are there many more of these? There's a Swedish church on Lower Road. We're not going to go there. But yeah, the Finnish church on Albion Street, which I mean, you just described as looking like... I think I did a little disservice when I described it as a cross between a church tower and a uh, fire practice tower. Which no, is a strong gauge, but, no, but also leads us into, uh, as well as Dempsey and Makepeace, another strong bit of British television history that the Rubber Hive Peninsula can lay claim to. The fictional home of the fire crew in London's burning. Oh, really? Yeah. Blackpool, right. Blackwall Fire Station was supposed to be. Um, oh, Blackwall near. Tunnel, Rovrive Tunnel, yeah. Rovrive. I'm with you. We've also found a plaque to a statue. It looks like it was never actually placed. Yeah, Bermondsey boy, Tommy Still. Unless it's just a really sort of. They might just realise it wasn't Bermondsey. Sculpture. But <laughs> a stack of bricks represents Tommy yeah, Still. Maybe. What's this other plaque? Oh, it's just about the community action team. These improvements were designed by the Albion Street Community Action Team and it's just a flower that's full of uh, Heineken cans. (laughs) (laughs) The centrepiece of Budweiser, Heineken, cider. Hot and tasty chicken. Guinness. There's not even any Scandinavian beers in there. No, it's a shame, isn't it? No. No culture appreciation, these people. So we're not going to visit any churches, though. I don't know, we can probably climb up. up that thing, can't we? We could climb up the clock tower, you're right. That yeah. is, that's impressive, I like it. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, me too, despite what I said. We're in Canada Water Bus Station, designed in part by Owen Pomery. That's a bit of a bold claim. I was involved in some of the drawing of the area. I mean, so was I. Yeah, <laughs> He was, though, Steve. He, he actually was. was. He was. What wasn't there when uh, Canada Water was initially developed was uh, the library which is quite the landmark, isn't it? That's remarkable, isn't it? It looks like uh, a library from Battlestar Galactica that would dock with another spaceship to give them books, but the books would be holograms. <laughs> <laughs> it opened, um, is it last year, yeah? Or maybe the year before? It looks like it opened 150 years in the future. Yeah, it really does. Mm. Um, and, I mean, it opened at a time when libraries were closing down, but Suffolk opened a massive library. A massive space-age library. I think it's two bad-looking libraries that have opened in a row, Suffolk. I'm not a fan of it, really. Are you not? Nah. I mean, up, but it's better up close. In pictures, it looks like it's made of wood or something. Do you know what I mean? But when you get up close, you realise like, it's It's got a strange like... shade of brown. When you get up there, like, in the context of... Uh, bad science fiction yes I, I suppose I just think if, if you had a kid who was a reluctant reader that could help we're going to the space library you come in yeah that sort of thing yeah, yeah. I think you... it would be a, it's, it's a space that would get children excited about going inside Dave Eggers does a similar thing in the States where he does uh, literacy programs in shops the front of which are like pirate and spaceman supply shops and then you go at the back and it's just books and uh, reading exercises the architect is Piers Goff. What do you think of the building, Owen? Well, it's quite a bold, bold move. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an area which isn't sort of known for its architecture around here, so I think anything that sort of is looking better than the decathlon opposite is a, is a, good, is a good move. So, yeah. Because that's the thing. That's the thing. The shopping unit opposite is so bland, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's actually, if you look through the window there at the front of Surrey Keys, I mean, that is terrible, isn't it? Yeah. What, yeah. How would you describe that? It's like faux something, isn't it? It's there's so much going on there and nothing at the same time. The bus station's very exciting as well, isn't it? As a space. Very exciting. For a bus station. Alright, Tim Bird. 
<laughs> in the library though what does intrigue me we got here sort of half hour after the library closed which is annoying because I was going to get a book out on architecture of all things but um, I'll have to get it shipped over to Grovevale I reckon but they've got a cafe in there I mean you look in the window and you can see a coffee bean grinder that's what I want from a library Steve that and range <laughs> that and alphabetical order um, we came past Orchard House Number 28 is significant, isn't it? King Mutisa II, Kabaka of the Kingdom of Uganda. Uganda, even. Uganda. King Freddy, colloquially known as, who died in exile there, Steve, in uh, 1969. Yeah, in suspicious circumstances. How suspicious? He'd been interviewed by a journalist earlier in the afternoon. John Simpson. John Simpson. Right. Who, you know... A reliable source, you'd imagine, for news. Yeah, yeah. Who described him as being in good spirits and good health. And apparently, within hours of that happening, he killed himself through alcohol poisoning. Was that the. Yeah, he died, he was dead and uh, alcohol poisoning. The police called it suicide. But Johnson said he didn't even drink, let alone, you know, in the mood for suicide. I was trying to find out if he was a goodie or a baddie. I think he might have been good, Steve. We've talked before about our favourite um, autobiography titles. The Desecration of My Kingdom. Strong. That's quite good. That is strong. I really need to get some baby cereal. Which means we'll have to skip Bacon's College. Which uh, is a school I've been aware of since my primary school days. Because a lot of kids wanted to go there. Obviously I had higher aspirations. London Nautical. Well, Haberdashers was turned down. So then London Nautical. But yeah, it's um, founded in 1703. The uh, specialism is digital media. Don't think it was back then. Local leather merchant, uh, merchant Josiah Bacon, founded it. Well, put a school in his will. But some of uh, some notable alumni. Alum- yeah, thanks, man. David Hay, who we talked about at length in episode seventy, boxing. Jake Goody, who was uh, number ten in our ten worst South Londoners, controversially, episode sixty-one. Frank Newball, Steve. Oh, former West Ham and Chelsea forwards. Exactly. Uh, ben Watson scored the winning goal in the FA Cup final last year. Former Palace player as well. Exactly. Apparently they had the FA Cup at Bacon's College recently. Oh, right. It's like sitting there for a while. Yeah, this guy I work with used to go there. I thought you meant hosted them for a second, but you mean the actual <laughs> physical cup. Notable, Steve, because uh, I mean, he played at Sweeper, which I imagine excites you, Ben Watson. Why would that excite me? I don't know, you like weird positions, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least, Neil from the Inbetweeners went there, Steve. All right. All right. Is he the tall one? Blake Harrison. Blake Harrison, yeah, I should have said that. Is he, is he the tall one? He's, he's the idiot one. Yeah, he Very comes stupid, in, uh, yeah. in Goshen time. How oh, does he? Get him on the show, ask him. Across the quay over there is uh, something that we, we've recently gotten rid of. A demon we've exercised. Something we were not proud to have in South London, Steve, and we're glad to have gotten shot of. Daily Mail print works. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, right. cleared out last year. Uh, they're redeveloping the site. Obviously, you know, Southwark wanted to fit in with a big, with the, an area development, rather than just turning it into flats or whatever. But yeah, the Daily Mail print works was over there. Uh, I remember the building. Yeah. I mean, it's still there. If we look out, if you look out uh, around the corner there, you, it's it, it's still got the Daily Mail logo on it. Yeah. But they've moved to East Thurrock in Essex. So. Right. But I think it's getting to the point with the Daily Mail where I'm going to have to start standing outside shops and people who buy it hit them in the shins with a <laughs> cricket bat. <laughs> yeah, I think the encouraging thing you said about the Daily Mail in recent times is the increasing bad feeling towards them, which is becoming more mainstream. The one thing I would say related to the Daily Mail. When they produce outrageous stories, don't put a link to their website as a way to show people what the yeah, outrageous yeah, stories are. Because every clickbait, time you do it, it's clickbait and they just like get more advertising revenue out of it. So by all means, report that they're doing something outrageous. And they always are, because they're scumbags. But don't go to their website to get the link and then encourage other people to go there, because that's why they're doing it, partly. They're also scumbags. And if anyone's listening who buys the Daily Mail, if you could just stop doing that, that'd be great. Or stop, stop listening. Stop listening. Yeah, that's fine. That's <laughs> even fine. Yeah. The thing is, if, if you're making a Venn diagram of uh, our listeners and Daily Mail readers, it's not big. Do you want to say anything, Steve, about Gulliver's Travels or Oliver Twist? I keep forgetting that the, the, the talk wasn't recorded. No, yeah, so exactly. All the things yeah. that he mentioned. Yeah. Was, yeah. Weren't, weren't those elements covered in the um, Dickens and also the, uh, the docks? 
the Gulliver's Legacy. Yeah, we've talked we've yeah. talked about Dickens' legacy in South London, but yeah, we've never sort of mentioned Gulliver's travels. But in the book, Gulliver himself comes from Redriff, which was the older name for Rotherhive, both originating from the same idea, a landing place for cattle. And obviously in the book he's on his travels, but occasionally he'll sort of write back to his family or mention his family or you think about his family, thinking about him in Rotherhive. So yeah, Rotherhive is his uh, base of operations. Is it good? Yeah, it's very good. It's not... It's an odd one because uh, people have this idea of it's Gulliver's... It's all been disproved now, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, the Gulliver's Travels, for some reason, I think because there's fantastical elements, has always been seen as a children's book. But it's not. It's obviously an incredibly powerful piece of satire. And it's when you read it, if you read the actual text rather than the sort of bowdlerized versions that are presented to children, you know, there's scenes where he's in Lilliput and there's a, the, the royal palace is on fire and he puts the fire out by pissing on it. But they don't put that in the sort of Ted Danson adaptations. I don't think I ever seen Ted Danson adaptation. If there is That's a scene with Ted Danson actually. pissing on the doll's house, please tell me. There isn't. I've, I've, you I did watch it. Used, used to have it on VHS. Actually. Right. Um, it's not a bad retelling. Oh, I'm sure but, it's fine. But, but there yeah. is no urination. No, that thing. Or that, is there? I don't know. I, let there us know. Be. There should be. Been it's been a while since I've seen it. But, uh, yeah. And Oliver Twist, even though we've talked about Dickens before, but how does it rank... As a book. The David Lieben film was brilliant. Yeah. The Carol Reed film was established is quite good. Yeah. And the book? Yeah, the book's excellent. Again, very different to the. Not very different, but different. You know, there are. Again, we've mentioned on the show oh! before. There are points in the, in the screen versions that sort of have overtaken the yeah. novel in terms of popular ideas. But yeah, no, it's uh, very good. And obviously, you know, massively informed by this area and Dickens' own experiences in a workhouse in the borough. If you want to get hold of that book or the DVDs of those films, then Ted Danson's Gulliver's Travels, go to southlandhardcore.com and click the Amazon banner and we'll get a small kickback and we can keep going to the bus stations <laughs> and museums. We've uh, cut our trip short, really, haven't we? Um, just because it went on so long, I don't know if that makes much sense. But it's so rich, isn't it? You could just sort of. There's so much history there. You could stop at every street corner and find something to talk about. Yeah, I'm just thinking more how long that walk dragged on at the beginning. Yeah, there was that. And then how long we were waiting for those terrible burgers in the pub. <laughs> but the place I'd like to have gone most that we haven't gone to is the Surrey Dock Stadium on Salter Road, where that was home to Fisher Athletic, only from 1982 to 2005. Currently ensconced in uh, Champion Hill Stadium. Yeah, they are. Yeah, well, that just sits empty, mm. and will presumably be redeveloped at some point. But you know, Fisher Athletic, they're from Rotherhithe, founded in 1908 by a head teacher. Uh, High Point came in uh, 87 to 91 when they were in the um, conference. Like they didn't. I don't think they did much. Sort no, of, sort of in the early they? years. Well, no, yeah, exactly. At the time. <laughs> And, um, you know, managed um, for a time by a Tottenham Hotspur's FA Cup winning left mate, Justin Edinburgh. Uh, if that's not a claim to fame, I don't know what if it is. that's not your high point. <laughs> but no, 2009, they went out of business. And uh, this uh, Fisher Athletic is no more, but Fisher FC is uh, the, re- the, the phoenix from the flames. And a uh, friend of Annie, who's been on the show before, her friend Jevon... Who, uh, do you know? No. He works at a VNA, so he does a little bit of design for Fisher. So yeah. there's a result like Fisher, you click on that, there's these Fisher badges available that are just so, so much better than they ought to be. <laughs> That's some really, really good stuff. There's a professional designer working with Yeah, he is club. a pro. Yeah. And I think he listens to the show, so what's up, Jevon? Do you want to say hello to Jevon, Owen? Hi, Jevon. Why'd you say it in that voice? <laughs> <laughs> it just seemed appropriate. I don't know, it just went with it. I think we might get to Fisher to do a whole episode at some point. I think that is our idea of all the South London clubs. I would, if we could get access to the abandoned stadium and just sit on folding chairs in, in the, the centre circle, yeah. pitch for an hour. I'd love that. Two. Was there anywhere else, Steve, we didn't get to see that you would like to have? I think Stave Hill would have been nice. I mean, it would have been. I was thinking it would have been a nice sort of place to end because it bookends nicely with Kingstairs Gardens. 
at the start where they were both sort of recent developments. Dave Hill was basically made from the land that was dug out before the docks. So it's, a, it's almost like a false park. It isn't natural hardland. It's basically the, the stacked up earth that was dug out for the docks and has been grassed over. So it would have been a nice sort of start in a, an artificial green space and ending an artificial green space, both of which are now sort of embedded into the land literally as well as figurative. So, Princess Margaret met her husband in Rough Rhyme, Steve. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, I don't know what the... His, the argument that the tour guide was making was that there's a, a horrible obelisk up because it marks a spot where Princess Margaret used to kiss her boyfriend and you're like, no, it doesn't. Seems yeah, really it's unlikely. Not true, is it? Uh, Especially as it was, as you said, it was hugely frowned upon. So why would it then want to be... Yeah, why would the royal family go, do we put up an obelisk? That thing that we really sneered at for a long time because a man wasn't noble before. Yeah, it wouldn't happen, would it? John Bumstead, 400 appearances for Chelsea. No, it's so nothing. It's a, it's a black mark in South London's history, isn't it? Producing oh, Chelsea players. I thought we were going out on a down note here, Steve. I shouldn't be bringing up all these things. That I don't bring up Chelsea players in the royal family. Squire and Effie Bancroft. They uh, instigated a new form of drama known as drawing room comedy or cup and saucer drama. Okay. In the uh, 19th century. We're end- this is ending on a terrible note, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> It's a cup and saucer drama. I know, I found it kind of very difficult to find out an answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a bit sort of Charlie's arm, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, that sort of thing. Taking us back to the many a chocolate factory episode. Yeah. Will you be back? Yeah, definitely. I didn't get to see the uh, statue of the boy and the old fella with the newspaper in his pocket and the comic in his pocket and there's a dog and there's everything. We talked about it on our statue episode. I know, we, we couldn't even cover half of Rob Hive in a day. That's how rich it is. That's how rich these streets are. I was um, surprised how much there was, if that's... Uh, up, if that sums it up, because... Um, I, I, I don't know, I've kind of written off the areas of being a bit sort of culturally devoid, but actually, it was lovely. No, there's, there's, loads there's, going not, on. there's an operational film studio yeah, that's got Oscars to its credit. Yeah, just in the middle of Rob Hive that no one really knows about. Yeah. That's how rich it is. Get down to Rob Ride, I think is the lesson, isn't it? Right, thanks for listening. SouthlandHardcore.com for more information, maps to follow these trails. OwenPomery.com, get Owen's uh, work there. Peruse his uh, portfolio. It's like Eric Clapton, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Someone's just frantically ringing the bell, they want to get off. <laughs> Don't let me out of Rob Ride. <laughs> Start again. <laughs>